Numbers chapter 23, and we're going to try to get through chapter 23 and 24 by making some comments that cover it all. As we go through here, just remember that the last time we met together, we looked at God's omnipotency and how he over-directed everything that was taking place here at this time, just as well as we find him over-directing everything that has ever happened from before the foundation of the world, after the foundation of the world, in eternity, he is the one that has the directorship. He is a omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and he's ever demonstrating that power. He is demonstrating that power even today in our lives, our assembly, and in this world. He is the director of all things. And you know, as we went through there, we've, we noticed that there was a man by the name of Balaam that's been hired uh, to curse the people of God. And to me, it was, it was not the nature of a dumb donkey to talk. That's not their nature. In fact, if we were around a donkey and he began to talk to us, I, how would you react? I don't know. How, just the sound they make is enough. <laughs> but, you know, it was not the nature of Balaam to give blessings to the people of God. But God moved on a dumb donkey and God moved on a, on a lion prophet and he performed his absolute sovereign will over both of them. And, and they're going to move around. That Balak, who is the king of Moab, he's going to ask him to move three or four times to different places to see if this place won't be better than that place. Or this place would be better than that place. And you could curse the people of God instead of bless them. Well, you know, the place made no difference. God moved upon Balaam to bless the people of God. God does that just exactly as he has purposed. And we find that probably a lot of people in reading the book of Genesis would say that Sodom and Gomorrah are just the worst places in the world. I mean, there's no place worse. In fact, it was so bad that God had those places consumed. And yet, in the midst of so badness, was one man that God had justified. Just Lot. Justified Lot. It, it hurt, it bothered him every day where he was living. And then, we find a publican living in the holy city. Oh my goodness. I hear so much about Jerusalem. That's the holy city. That's where all the things take place. And how many people want to go there and visit and see the places where Jesus was and see this and see that? Right there in the midst of the holy city was a sinner man. He was a publican and he would not even raise his eyes to heaven and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man went home justified just like Lot living in the worst place, possible place he could ever live. That's the judgment call of most people. Well, we find out wherever we live is just like both of those places. God has his people, and he will bring his people to their knees. I was thinking as Brother Mike was teaching this morning about those soldiers bowing down before Jesus. You know, they pretended there. They played there. They mocked there. 
But the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess the Lord Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Now I pray that somewhere in those soldiers' lives, the gospel was brought to them and they actually bowed. But if it did not happen, they will bow at that day. They will bow before him as the sovereign king that they pretended and mocked. Just like we find so often people are just mocking God in their religious activity, but they will bow. They will bow. Well, as we look here, we find that God works all things after the counsel of his own will. We heard that read there in the book of Ephesians this morning, that he is working all things after the counsel of his own will. He does not ask us for permission, and he does not ask us for counsel, because we find the scripture says, who counseled God? Who did he bring into the contract? There were three that counseled together. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They counseled together. And without that good counsel before the foundation of the world in creating an eternal covenant of grace, there would not be one bit of hope for anybody. Now, as we go through here, we find out that the people that Balaam wanted to curse but could only bless were one of some of the most rapscallions of the world. We just followed their lives for a little bit, and we find out they were really wicked people. They were wicked against God. They were wicked against Moses. They were wicked against Aaron. They were wicked against each other. And we find this out, that we find while Balaam trying to earn the wages of unrighteousness, Israel is perpetrating such terrible sins. Now, we're going to go through chapters 23 and 24. You get to chapter 25, and we find out that they are in the pit over there. Whether this is happening all the time over here, and they don't know what's happening. They're, they're kind of at parade rest. They're in their tents. They're waiting to go into the promised land, and we find out what they're doing. And over here, God is blessing them by causing a prophet that knows nothing about God and nothing about the gospel, causing his mouth to speak glorious things about the people of God. I think I mentioned last time, and I just think about that, what a pill that was for him to swallow, that he'd open his mouth with the hopes of earning the money of unrighteousness, the wages of unrighteousness, in cursing the people of God. And when he started to speak, God got in there and overcame him. And all he did was speak blessings to the people of God. And over there, we're going to find out that's a bunch of the most wicked people on the face of the earth. These many all died in unbelief. And yet God protected them. God blessed them because he had an interest in them. There in the midst of them was the line that would bring our Savior. There in the midst of them was the generations that would bring the line of the Lord. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall be the gathering of his people. There's going to be a scepter. There's going to be a ruler. There's going to be someone in charge of Judah until Jesus Christ is born. And you know what? No longer need it. He's been delivered unto us. We don't, it doesn't take us very long in the scriptures to find out what a sinner Adam was. But you know, he also had a very sinful son. 
Now, most of us would immediately think of Cain. That guy was a bad guy. You know what? If we had the privilege of visiting with Seth, who is right in the line of the Lord Jesus, you know what he would admit to us, just like every believer would admit? Oh, wretched man that I am. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be just like my brother Cain over there living like the devil. All the generations to Noah were great sinners. Noah was a great sinner. You know what the difference was? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was not better than everybody else, and therefore God blessed him with a special blessing. He was just like the, all those generations prior to him. They had all fallen in Adam. He was a sinner, a sinner, but a sinner saved by grace. Noah was only blessed because of grace, and all the generations from Noah to Abraham were great sinners. Abraham would have continued in his ungodly worship, except we find the God of glory appeared unto him. Now there's 20 generations between Adam and Abraham, and there's not been one step in there that improved the line. Nobody could get this problem taken care of. Recently, I heard about they needed to take care of some wolves over in eastern Oregon because of uh, uh, stock animal depredation. And one of the people that's in charge in the Bureau of or the uh, Fish and Wildlife was over there saying that it's going to take five or six generations of these wolves before they get over wanting to consume sheep and cattle. And one of the farmers said, are you just stupid? You can never get that out of a predator's life. Never trust a predator. People want to have lions for pets. Oh, it works sometimes. And then you got the guy that's been working with one for many years killed by his own pet lion. So we have predators here in the line. They, they just cannot improve themselves. There's no hope for them at all until the God of glory appears. 20 generations from Adam to Abraham, and all were in the same condition. They all died in Adam. In Adam, all died. And there was no discussion about that by the believers. Now, the unbelievers, there's always a discussion about how dead is dead. And we've talked about that many times. Now, there's generations come along as we travel another 2,000 years from Abraham to Mary. Did you know what? Mary was the chiefest of sinners. That's her admission. She would admit that. She was not so special that she had to come into this world in a special manner, and then she brought the Lord Jesus Christ into the world in a special manner. She was just like everybody else in that line. The glorious thing about it is when she bore her firstborn son, that son did not inherit the fall of Adam. That's special. First person that's ever been born into this world the Lord Jesus Christ did not inherit the sin of Adam. Now, he was made in the likeness of the children of Adam, 
like you and I, yet without sin. We have such a special person that's been born into the world. For no one is like him, and he's the only one that has ever had that happen. An instance in uh, Adam in his fallen state did was not represented in this one. God had great reason to watch over these sinners that are in the community of Israel that Balaam's attempting to curse. All right, would you turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 23? Numbers chapter 23. We're actually going to get into the book of Numbers. After, after Balaam does his mouth, he has these words already in his heart about how he's going to curse the children of Israel. And he gets ready to speak. And like that dumb donkey that's not accustomed to speaking in human language, God overrode that brain that they normally do. And out from his mouth came the words of a man. And here we have another dumb donkey. We have Balaam who would give anything if he could just curse the people of God and he is overridden and his mouth is stopped and God uses it as a spokesman for him. He overrode his very nature and it tells us there in verse 23 and verse 11, Balak's reaction to this. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies and behold thou hast blessed them altogether you know the scriptures share with us there turn with me to the book of isaiah if you would the book of isaiah chapter 54 isaiah chapter 54 and we just find out what a blessing it is that god has the overriding omnipotency over all things so that nothing nothing no weapon of any kind in Isaiah 54 and verse 17, the scriptures share with us this. Isaiah 54 and verse 17, it says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Well, the Lord told his disciples, Don't fear him who can take your life. Fear him who can take your life and your soul. Now, God's people have died since the very beginning. Adam was 900 and, what, 60 years old when he died? I looked at that they, they, online, they've got a graph, and you can see, he, oh my goodness, he just missed the flood by a few years. He lived so long, he just missed the flood by a few years. He had this, I think it was seven greats in his line. My goodness, you get three together, that's a miracle. You know, we were up there in, in uh, Victoria Island, and in that swimming pool were three generations that asked to be baptized. Ed, his daughter, and his granddaughter. I've never had that happen in my life. I don't know very many people that ever had that happen. One here, one there, one here, one there. But here is seven greats that Adam knew from his very time he was created to down to the time he passed away, he could have known seven greats. And not one of them changed their nature. Not one of them was any better off because of his fall. 
And here in the book of Isaiah, he said, Now all the people of God, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Nothing is going to prosper. No condemnation to them that are in Christ. Shall anybody lay anything to the charge of God's elect? No, it's God that justifies. I'll not permit it. He has a wall about his people. He has a hedge about his people. And not one thing can prosper against them in that way to condemn them. Now, we may condemn ourselves, but God's not. He has much on the line. As we look back here, we see that the, these first two chapters, that though great riches was promised to, to Balaam the soothsayer, he cannot curse Israel. Turn with me, if you would, to, uh, back to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 23. And verse 5. The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak. The Lord put a word. I'm convinced that he did that for Judas. The Lord put a word in his mouth. He went out with somebody. He was a preacher with somebody, two by two. And nobody came back and says, <laughs> Uh, Lord, let me take you aside for just a moment. I, I think you made a mistake here. In verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go again unto Balak and say thus. The Lord put a word in his mouth. How he does that is beyond our ability to figure it out, but he has that ability to do that very thing. What must have been a bitter, bitter pill in the mouth of Balaam, and he lost great wealth over it, and was not much more than a donkey speaking, and yet we find that he said four times blessings upon the children of Israel. Chapter 23, verse 7 of the book of Numbers. Let's read that. And he took up his parable. Now, when we got we read this originally, we found out that that word is generally given to soothsayers. Most of the prophets are never given that type of word in the original language. It's translated in our my translation, parable. Other places, it's different language. It's simile or prophetic statement or discourse or oracle or incantation, or whatever. But anyway, in verse 7, it says, And he took up his parable and said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like the his. And Balak said, What have you done? What have you done? All right, chapter 23 and verse 18. 
We read these words. And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man. Hmm. We read that and say, Thank you, Lord. God is not a man that should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. You know, one of the blessings to the church is God does not change. Oh, my. I know what it is to change. It's changed based upon how other people respond to me. God is not changed by how we respond to him. He is ever straightforward. He has a purpose and he shall carry it out. And nothing shall move him to the right hand or to the left hand. I am God, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. If he had changed, we get to the chapter 25 of this, we'll find out he had every right to change and consume them. What about when Adam sinned? He had every right to consume him and all that there was and start all over. But do you know what? Before the council, in the council halls of eternity, before the world was ever created, he had already chosen the people, already had a a covenant uh, laid out. He already had a lamb slain. He already had it all worked out. So when Adam sinned, he just went ahead with the plan and people were going to be born into this world and some would be born into this world that would be objects of his grace and some would be born into this world that would be the objects of his wrath and he's going to go ahead with the plan because he had a Savior already a surety. He had a Savior that was already a Redeemer and he was going to take care of it just as he had always planned. So, here in verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall it not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall it not be made good? Behold, I have received commandments to bless and he hath blessed and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld beheld iniquity in Jacob. Can you imagine this false prophet saying that about Jacob? He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Now this, he's talking about spiritual Israel. He's talking about the elect. Same name, different members. There were many in national Israel that were never saved. There were many in national Israel that never trusted God. The gospel was preached unto them as well as unto us, but it did not profit them because they were not given faith. The Lord, his God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God, who's that? (laughs) Who's shouting kings? God brought them out of Egypt, He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Isn't that interesting? That's the first words that Alexander Graham Bell put across the telephone. What hath God wrought? What's God done? Well, we find this man speaking like that. And then it says, Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. 
And Balak said, if you're not going to curse them, please, please do not bless them. All right, let's go to chapter 24. Chapter 24 and verse 3. And he took up his parable one more time. Now they keep moving around. <laughs> Balak says, well, let's go over here and see if that won't work. I'm uh, let's... connecting to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move over here. Maybe that'll work. You know, I've had people say, if I just moved over there and got away from all the people that are influencing me, I'd be better off. You know who's influencing us? Me. I used to go home and my dad would say, if my brother could just get away from those folks that he's having the parties with, if he'd do that, he, he's being influenced. No, you talk to my brother. He was the influence. He had the money and he'd buy the stuff for him. You can't get away from yourself. Never will. Not in this life. We're the problem. It doesn't matter where we are. We're still the problem. We move somewhere, we're going to have the same problem. All right, here it goes. Take Balaam, in verse 3 of this chapter 24, it says, And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel! As the valleys are, thy sp are they spread forth, as gardens by the river's side, as the trees of the lee alone, aloes, say the Lord, hath planted, and cedars beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be as many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted." My goodness, he's prophesying. We have the kingdom of God mentioned here. We have the kingdom of the Lord mentioned here. He's going to be higher than all the kings. In fact, the scriptures say he is king of kings and lord of lords. No one is over him. He couched down. He lay as a lion. and as a great lion who shall stir him up. Blessed is he that blesseth thee and cursed is he that curseth thee. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. What have you done? And in the same chapter, down in verse 15, he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall be a star out of Jacob. Oh, what a statement. This, this guy, after money of unrighteousness, has to say. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You know, we, we have this, as we get to the New Testament, we find some of the same things are brought out. Pilate. Jesus before Pilate. And the Lord Jesus says, when Pilate said something, he says, don't you know, you'd have no power over me except it be given you. And he said, Pilate said, when they came back, he says, don't you dare put on the cross that he's, that he's the king of the Jews. Put on the cross, he said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate would love to have spit out, yes, I'll agree with you, but you know what he said? What I have written... I have written, 
end of statement. Who had his hand on the back of him and going like this? God Almighty. Talk about puppets. The question is, who's the puppeteer? Almighty God. All right. It continues there. Out of Jacob, it says, uh, and shall come a star out of Jacob. The Lord, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The Lord and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy the children of Seth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that hath dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And when he looked upon Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be, he perisheth forever. And he looked up on the Kenites and he took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenites shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away captive. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? The ship shall come from the coast of Shittim and afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned unto his place, and Balak also went his way. Psalm 76. Would you turn there with me? Psalm 76. As we've read these very quickly, and not spent much time on them, but they are filled with the prophetic statements of Almighty God concerning Israel, concerning the blessings of God. He is omnipotently overriding all those that would oppose them. In Psalm 76, Psalm 76 and verse 10, we read this about these, this passage of Scripture. Psalm 76, and there in verse 10, it says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. The wrath of man. You know, we've been watching that in the book of Esther. Boy, Haman, he is so, he is so upset and so mad at the Jews. And Mordecai specifically. And you know what? His wrath honors God. The wrath of man shall praise thee. Haman is going to come out and find out, uh-oh, The very night that Ahasuerus can't sleep, Haman shows up with the plan to hang Mordecai, the very man, and the next thing we know, he's leading Mordecai in the royal apparel, royal crown, royal horse around town. The wrath of man shall praise thee. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, we read this, and we've heard it, Many times here from this pulpit, as speakers, Brother Mike, Brother Mike, Lauren, have referred to this passage, our guest speakers have referred to this passage, the book of Acts, chapter 4. The book of Acts, chapter 4. We read this blessed passage of Scripture, Acts chapter, 20, uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, if Balak had got his way, this line would have died. 
but the wrath of man shall praise thee. All that they determined to do. The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now read this with me. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Oh, they had a pill in their mouth too. God overrode all that they had planned to do. They say, we're going to get rid of this troublemaker. We're going to get rid of this religious fanatic and we can get back to business collecting those monies from the people that sell those animals and all the stuff that's going on. And yet God had purposed beforehand what exactly was going to happen and now to do for whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. God's salvation is so determined that we read about it. Go to with me to the book of Romans, if you would, chapter 8. Some wonderful lessons were brought from this passage of Scripture in my absence, and I appreciate that so much. But it just kindles a fire, you know, reading these passages of Scripture. It builds us, it shares with us the great glory of God. And here in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 31, What shall we say to these things if God before us? Who can be against us? You know, before the Lord saves us, we don't even know that that's being applied to us. We have no idea in the world. Now, God has never looked at us with his anger. He's never looked at his elect with anger. He's never looked at us at the church, those without Christ. He's never looked at them with anger and malice. He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. But from our standpoint, what did we think? I will not have this man rule over me. We were angry with him. We were enmity with him. We had all malice against him. But he, it tells us, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's loved us with an everlasting love. So it tells us here, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Notice the rest of that. How shall he not with him freely also, excuse me, not with him also freely give us all things? If he's given us the only begotten son, isn't he going to take care of the rest? It's what he's saying. I'll take care of the rest. I'll give you sanctification. I'll give you righteousness. I'll give you peace. I'll give you hope. I'll give you all these things because I've given my son for your sins. I've paid the price. You are now free. Goes on to tell us here, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Those who would attempt to, as Balaam was paid to do, to curse the people of God, cannot do it. Now they may speak words, but you know what? The blessing of God overrides all of that. Who is he that condemneth? Well, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? God's great salvation is the covering for great sinners. 
a star has come. That's what Balak said. A star is going to come. Star has come. A scepter has risen. Christ has risen. Not the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. He's come. Shiloh is here. And he that has dominion is here. Every prophetic statement that Balaam brought out as God moved his lips has been fulfilled in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. All things are done for his elect. I will never, never, ever, ever, ever leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, you know, it doesn't take much to move in the scripture to get over to the next chapter and find out that those people are living like the devil. They're worshiping idols. They've gone after Beor. Their immorality has broken out. All the things, oh my goodness, how could that happen? God saves his people from sin. He's never saved anybody that wasn't a sinner. He saved us from our sins. Here we read there in the book of Romans, it goes, who shall condemn? Who shall separate? Who shall do any of this? Nobody. God's great salvation is covering for great, great, great sinners. As we find in the line of the Lord Jesus, there was not one of those people in the line of the Lord Jesus from Adam down to Mary that were not great sinners before God. None of them had anything going for them except grace. There was no, nothing that stood out. Mary was just like all the rest of the people that had ever been born. Born because, or born into sin, born, as David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. I came forth from my mother's mouth speaking lies. And that was about Mary, that was about Abraham, that was about Noah, that was about David, that was about everybody that has ever been born into this world. And without Christ, there is no hope for any of those people. None of us. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11. In the book of Matthew, chapter 11, we have these words left for us to enjoy and appreciate, to consider. At that time, Jesus answered and said, Isn't it wonderful to hear the words of the Lord? I like my red letter edition. I have a translation that has all the Old Testament times when God spoke in red letter. It's amazing. Here in this verse of Scripture, in that time, Jesus answered and said, Who is this Jesus? We have to come to a conclusion of who he is. The Lord will reveal to all his people that he is the only Savior and that he is sovereign over our salvation and he will work all things after the counsel of his own will. And he will do things that we may not appreciate, but he's going to do it because it's for our best. Here it says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight." All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. Uh-oh. Only the Father knows the Son, and only the Son knows the Father, and how are we going to get around that? And he to whomsoever 
The Son will reveal him. We heard a word used over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, this morning. Who is the arm of the Lord revealed? Talking about the same thing right here. To whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know, so often when I was in religion, I never heard a word about what preceded verse 28. Never heard. Oh, come, come, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Well, then you find out when you're saved, there's a verse of Scripture or two before that. And in the verses of Scripture before that, you find out how you're able to come. The arm of the Lord has been revealed. The new birth changes everything. (laughs) Being born again changes everything. God, when he... reveals his son in us as as Paul mentioned when it pleased God to reveal his son in me when the new birth comes when there's something that we have no participation in we're only the receptor of it when we talk to people and we they talk to them about the new birth and they say well I, I have that and I said well how much did you have to do with your physical birth nothing and I said that's how much you had to do with your spiritual birth nothing You had nothing to do with it. You weren't looking for it. You weren't intending to have it. Paul or Saul of Tarsus was headed headed down to Damascus with evil intent in his heart when God met him and gave him the new birth. And then he was able to say with emphasis, Lord, my king, my sovereign, the one who has given the gospel, the one who revealed the Lord unto me, then we find, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. No, the Bible tells us that whoever the Lord or the Father reveals, we'll learn of him. We will not have a problem when we read the scriptures of giving him all the glory and all the praise. Everything about it is in his hands and he's done it all for his people. For I am meek and lowly in heart and shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a statement. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Which is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Now when we get over there next Sunday, Lord willing, to that next chapter, we're going to wonder why in the world did God ever deliver these people from what they're going on? I have a people. I will deliver my people. It doesn't matter who raises up to curse them. I will deliver my people. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 12. 1 Samuel, chapter 12. First Samuel, chapter 12, and verse 22. For the Lord will not. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. You know, during this time of chapters 22, 23, and 24, it appears that Israel didn't have much knowledge of what God was doing over here and protecting them. 
And it was during this time, some of this time, that we find that Moses, before he died, he's not going to live much longer. Before he died, he's given Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by the Holy Spirit to write down and let people have the Word of God, the first five books of the Bible. All the time that God's taking care of His people from on this side, we find the Holy Spirit working over on that side with all of His people, and one of them we know has been given the task of writing down as it was given to His ears to hear the Word of God. And in that Word, we find out that there was a man that was paid, would have been paid great money for cursing the people of God. And instead, instead of that happening, God took his mouth and all he could do was say, praise be unto God. And did you notice there? Then he went home and it won't be long. We're going to read that he was killed in battle by Israel, by the sword. He was not one of God's prophets, but he was used as a mouthpiece. We thank God for preserving his people because without that, there would be no preservation. We thank God for keeping his people, for without that, none of his people would be kept. And we thank God for saving his people because without that, none of us would be saved. Brother Mike, if you'll come.